So we are uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount today, after Easter, and we're going to take communion today. Uh, I'll, I'll walk you through that at the end. Um, so just hold on to it. Uh, we finish up today, God willing, the Lord's Prayer. And I guess if nothing else, we've learned uh, the Lord's Prayer is meant to be prayed. Not just recited, not just memorized. Uh, used as a guide. It's a conversation. Each, each line is conversation, topic that God expects us to have with him because we have now mutual concerns in the kingdom. And the prayer is essentially God saying, here's the things I want you to be concerned about. Uh, we said there were three parts to the prayer. Uh, when we looked at it, uh, just sort of look at that again, we have the address and then begins sort of part two, which is the, our concern for God's ultimacy, his name, his kingdom, and his will. And then uh, our concern for our own well-being uh, down in the, the third part of this. So it's kingdom stuff, stuff God expects us to talk to him about. It's about what we're doing together, which is sort of an interesting way to look at prayer. God, here's the things we need to talk about. We need to meet and we need to talk about these things because they're kingdom things. Uh, Philip Yancey has, a, has a, a really good book on prayer, a significant book on prayer. Uh, a little older now, but good. And uh, he talks about it in a, in a section in there on the kingdom of God and partnership and the, in this, in the Lord's Prayer itself. And he says, when he, reflects on the, when he reflected on the Lord's Prayer, he says, If you ask, what is God doing in the world? The answer to the question is another question. What are God's people doing in the world? Because that's what he's doing. You know, what you're doing is what he's doing. That's how the kingdom works. So he works in and through you to bring the kingdom to life, into your actual life. We ask God to bring the kingdom. He says, okay, I'm bringing it to you. Let's put it in your world, your life. So that's what we have to talk about, how we're going to get it into your life and right into our very lives. So what we do when we pray is we talk to him about the things that he's wanting to bring about in our lives, and we prayer is essentially relying on him for the resources to do the things that he wants done. So it's an interesting way to look at prayer, a very helpful way to understand the conversation you're having with, with God is I, I, need, I need resources. So it's a great question to ask. I think when you think about the Lord's Prayer, uh, have, when was the last time any of these topics showed up in your prayer time? That would be worth considering. But I pray, but I don't necessarily pray about those things. Well, then that would be a good, if, if nothing else, we learn that. Uh, today's a great example of how that, the topic sort of, we, we discuss and gets into our lives because the, the last topic is forgiveness. We've looked at the whole prayer now, and now it's just verse 12 left, the forgiveness. We saved that one because he brings up forgiveness again in, right after the prayer. So we decided to just sort of uh, combine those. And this is what he says in the prayer. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then right after he prays, right after the Lord's Prayer, he says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so it's... Kind of like he takes this, he brings a truth out of the prayer. And he's going to show you just how connected the two realities are. You say, how, how, 
How important it is that I'm connected to God on kingdom stuff and we're working together? Well, I'll tell you how important it is. You got stuff to do, and he's got stuff to do. And he ain't doing his, pardon that English, he ain't doing his if you ain't doing yours. That's how connected those two realities are. Now think about that. This is God saying, hey, I'm asking you to pray about stuff we're doing together. If you don't want to work together with me, well, then this is what that looks like. No you, no me. That is pretty incredible. You could spend a lot of time just pondering that. Um, And so to bring up forgiveness after he just mentioned it in that prayer something you would be praying about is very significant, very significant. It becomes an illustration of how the, how the prayer is supposed to work in your life in relation to kingdom, like we just said. But it's also, let me highlight the idea of forgiveness above all things here. And it becomes a good illustration of, of the whole prayer anyway. Uh, because forgiveness is, I mean, as we see here, a kingdom staple but by the way Jesus says it here. I mean, he makes a statement, he uses it positively and negatively. This not happen if that doesn't happen. This is happening if that happens. You can't say it any stronger. So uh, forgiveness is a part of, is an unmistakable part of the kingdom reality. It's, it's the air we breathe in the kingdom. It's what makes kingdom life possible at all is God's mercy. Nobody's getting in the kingdom without God's mercy. As uh, Willard writes, once we step into this kingdom and trust it, pity becomes the atmosphere in which we live. Of course, it is his pity for us that allows us in to start with then it patiently bears with us. So, I mean, it's the air you breathe. I mean, if you're not, forgiveness is the in and out air of the kingdom. You need it, you got to give it. And they go together. You can't just have one of those. In order to live, you got to have both. And if you're not breathing that, then, you know, then you, the only thing you could be doing is holding your breath and you're going to pass out in the kingdom. You're just going to faint because you can't survive or live without this reality working uh, both ways. So, and, and when you consider Matthew and Jesus here talking about forgiveness of sins, at the beginning of Matthew, remember the birth of Christ, you got Joseph who's told you're going to name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. That's the beginning of Matthew. Then at the end of Matthew, they're sitting around the Lord's table, and Jesus is about to do that. He's about to go to a cross and save his people from their sins. And he tells them, you're going to eat this bread, and you're going to drink this cup, and this cup is my blood poured out for forgiveness of sins. So Jesus considered, uh, Jesus would sum up his entire mission is to forgive sins. So there's no way to be in the kingdom without forgiveness being sort of the operating system uh, for how we, we function in it. Now, we have touched upon the significance and meaning of forgiveness a couple of times. You can't get out of Matthew 5 uh, without that. Remember, there's the section on anger, and then there's the section on rec- reconciliation, which, you know, you could be sitting at the altar, maybe sitting here in a church like now. And about to present an offering to God. And God says, and you think of something against someone else? You get up, you leave that there. You leave what you were going to do for me behind and you go solve that problem. In both cases, forgiveness becomes the key. So relational harmony is definitely the essence of the kingdom, the core of the Christian life. And uh, you have um, here sort of you know, a vertical element in the relationship, and then you have a horizontal part of it here. And they go together. They're sort of inextricably linked, like breathing, inhaling and exhaling. 
uh, needing it and, and offering it simply go together. You can't have one without the other. It's not spiritually possible. I love this line. I've always loved it. Years and years ago I read it. I've never forgotten it. Uh, where Willard says, it's not psychologically possible for us to know God's pity and at the same time be hard-hearted toward others. It's just not psychological. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. There's, there's no way to separate the two. And so what we get in this verse, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven is sort of the theological rationale. You get the, the understanding and relationship and the linking of the two of them theologically. As if... Uh, and, and, and you get the reason why they go together in the prayer. So you can't really ask for forgiveness without in turn actually thinking of people you have to forgive. So you got to figure out how to incorporate both of those realities into your prayer life. They're connected and they're equal concerns. Uh, they cannot be considered apart from one another. And that's not insignificant for us as we pray. Uh, just to give you one more because I don't think it can be said any clearer than this. This is Mark eleven twenty five, something like what's going on in Matthew 5. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven will forgive you. I mean, if you're in prayer and you're talking about forgiveness, first thing ought to come to your mind is who do you got to grant it? That probably put a twist on your prayer life, just that alone. And there's a great commentator on Luke and uh, his version of the Lord's Prayer who says, those who are in the kingdom are themselves caught up in a system of grace and forgiveness. That's what this is. It is a system. It is a system of grace and forgiveness. Um, so... A good way to maybe summarize that is the foundation of kingdom living. The foundation of kingdom living is the flow of forgiveness to and through you. To and through you. That would be the foundation of the kingdom. Now, two questions arise. They did for me. That's how I thought about, you know, talking to you about this, and they're probably your questions too. And the first one is, well, it's theological. I mean, do I have to forgive other people in order to be forgiven? Is that saying I can't be saved if I don't forgive people? That's the first question. Because we always have these thoughts about grace. You know, what is, what, I thought I was, I thought I was given grace freely. So then what does that mean? And then the second one is the practical one. What's it mean, to, what's it mean for my prayer life? Like, how do, I, how do I bring this truth into my prayer life? What, what would that look like if I wanted to do it? So we need to talk about those. The first one is theological. Um, do I have to forgive in order to be saved? You know, last week we're at Easter, we looked at Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I thought that was a gift. I thought salvation was a gift. Why does it sound here like I need to earn it? Well, let's go ahead and give you a simple answer and say, no, you don't earn your salvation. You don't have to forgive in order to be saved. Okay? Um, well, let's, let's talk about this. Because when we, uh, when we talk about grace, we, we, we struggle a little bit in our understanding of grace. So let's talk about you. Here you are. And you get invited into God's kingdom. Let's call that the kingdom. Right, you get invited into that kingdom in God, and that means you're forgiven. And what the, what the text is saying is, once you are forgiven, you become then 
a source of forgiveness. You become a forgiving person. That's the flow. So you don't have to forgive anybody to get in. But once you're in, you become a forgiving person. This is extremely important to grasp. Uh, so let me, let me rephrase the question. Is it possible to be forgiven by God and not be forgiving? What would the answer to that question be? Is it possible to be forgiven by God and not be a forgiving person? It is not possible. No. No, you don't have to be forgiving to be forgiven. But you cannot be forgiven and not be forgiving. Do you understand how both those work? You got to get those. This is really important. This is where we, I think, we misunderstand grace tremendously. Uh, let's talk about grace for a second. And then I think you'll understand that picture a little bit better. There's two elements of grace that the scriptures teach us. We only ever really focus on one of them. It's our favorite part of grace. And our favorite part of grace is that it's free. God offers to us salvation for free. We didn't do anything to earn it. That's the part of grace we love. And that's why when anything hints that maybe grace isn't free, we go, we start moaning and whining. And that's because we forget this part. I'm going to write it really clear. I don't always do that. Transforming. A little big. That's all right. Transforming. It's free, but it changes your life. When you get it, it overwhelms you, and it changes your life. It transforms you. You cannot... You cannot come into this kingdom in grace and not give it. That's the connection. And you, you, you just can't miss that point. So you don't forgive in order to be forgiven. You're forgiven. Or you forgive because you are forgiven. Once you know that kind of grace... You offer it. Now, this is really important as you think about this and you try to incorporate it into your daily conversations with God. Uh, nothing will get you closer to the truth of God being real in your life. Nothing will. Any better than how well you seek forgiveness and how well you grant it. That's, that's the heartbeat. You want to know if you're in the kingdom? You want to know if it's changed, changed your life? You want to know if God, if you're really forgiven? You can, you can see. How well do you seek forgiveness? And, and how well do you offer it? That'll be the really key as to whether or not grace has changed your life. Listen. Nobody cares if you say you've had grace. Grace isn't the kind of thing that you walk around claiming. This is, this is important too. Everybody would love to have grace. And who wants to say no to grace? And lots of people say yes to grace, that, and it never changes their life. That would not mean that they lost something or that they had to earn it. It would mean grace never changed them. That means grace never really took hold of their heart. They said they had grace, but they never got it. It never really changed them. That's what's going to happen in Matthew 7. We've looked at it a number of times. Matthew 7 is going to drive this point home. You say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, I never knew you. So just because you say you had grace, how do you know you have it? Are you a forgiving person? Having been forgiven, are you a forgiving person? Uh, uh, I was having a quiet time in Psalm 130 this past week. Uh, 
And it is a, it is a short psalm on forgiveness. It was so great to encounter it. Because now I'm praying about being forgiving. And this comes up. Oh, if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, sins, who could stand? Nobody could stand in your presence if you weren't forgiving. But with you, there is forgiveness, for sure. That, for what? What happens to a forgiven person? They become in awe, and they worship, and they fear. They don't just go out and live the way they wanted to. Uh, grace transforms you. You don't come into the kingdom in grace and stay the same person you were out here. just doesn't work that way. Once you get into grace, it transforms you. You become a person who's in awe of God. You fear him. And so you, in, in partnership with God on the whole idea of forgiveness... I get it, I give it. That's how the kingdom works. Now, uh, so this is the propositional. This is, a little, this is a little harder in your face, just the facts. You forgive, I forgive. You don't forgive, I don't. But thankfully, Matthew gives us a story version of this. When you hear the story... You know, because the story's better than propositions all day long. I'd rather hear a story all day. Well, here's the story behind that theology. Uh, all I want you to do is hear it just the way they would have heard it when Jesus told it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him. And owed him 10,000 talents. So Jesus is telling you, here is how the kingdom works. Okay? Remember our little picture. You're out here, and you want in there. Jesus said, let me tell you how the kingdom works. You want in here? Somebody comes in there, owes 10,000 talents. That could, that's you or me. But he could not pay. And his master ordered him to be sold. All him and all his stuff. With his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. Because that's the king's right. You're in the king's court. And you owe the king money. And you're standing before the king. Who runs sort of the government. The, the whatever, whatever his kingdom is. And you owe him. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And I would imagine there was a silence in the room. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and canceled the debt. That had to be a moment. That's grace. Then that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So we've left the high king's court. Now we're in sort of the lower servant's court where the servant is going to call, call a servant. That same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, began to choke him Pay me what you owe me. And this fellow servant just fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. And when his fellow servants, you know, those standing around in the court, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. Jesus says it again, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here's the narrative version of this theological truth. There are some great observations in it. First of all, we're talking about the kingdom. And we're realizing right here at the end of this, let's go ahead and say it, the unforgiving heart leads to eternal punishment. That's essentially what's going on. The unforgiving heart leads to eternal punishment. So the king calls this guy in who owes an infinite amount of money, 10,000 talents. Talents is the greatest amount of, it's the greatest amount of money, you, uh, greatest source, greatest amount of money that you can name in the, in the kingdom. A talent was the highest. And um, it says 10,000 talents, but it's really a, a, the, the word means an uncountable number. You, you couldn't add this up. If you added up 10,000 denarii, no one could pay that in a lifetime. It would be, it's sort of the, uh, the, this Greek numeral would sort of function like we say when we are exaggerating and say zillions. He must owe something like zillions. That's the number here. It's an, it's an incalculable number. And he can't pay it, even if he wanted to. And when you couldn't pay, anytime you couldn't pay your debt, you were put in debtor's prison until you could pay it. All your stuff was sold. Uh, so it's a, it's a wow moment in that court when this guy gets put off the hook. I mean, it's insane. And then you come into this lower court where that same guy who just had that happen to him. And you get it repeated. And so you're expecting, oh, wow, man, if that guy comes out of there with that, surely he's going to be. Don't you expect him to be gracious to the other guy? The other guy says the exact same thing he says. He only owes 100 denarii. That may be three or four months wages. Not insignificant, but nothing like what he owed. And the point of that is our debt to God is far worse than anybody else's debt to us. And that has to be remembered. And I think the easiest way to, for, to understand that is to always remember this. Always remember this. It's hard to remember. You always need more forgiveness than anybody else does. Well, rather than being forgiving, a turn comes and he's got an unforgiving heart. In fact, he's violent. He reaches out and chokes. It's kind of a funny moment. It's kind of a sick kind of funny. But he reaches out and grabs that guy by the neck and starts to choke him. You're like, does anybody compute this? He becomes demanding. He becomes violent. He, it's the same request. Same answer. But he demands full payment. And by the way, the, re- the beauty of narrative is you say, what does it look like to God after he forgives us and we don't forgive someone? It looks like you just reached out, grabbed him, started choking him, demanding payment. It looks violent to God. It's an act of of violence. Well, you start to see it that way and you start to go, oh, well, that's pretty bad. And furthermore, everyone standing around, they get distressed and it's, a, it's passive there, which means a distress comes upon them that they can't control because that's completely out of line. There's no way that works anywhere that you could be forgiven that kind of debt and not release him of his debt. That does not work. This is God trying to show you. They're in, they're, they are intricately tied together. And so their collective sort of negative reaction to this, their disapproval of his act is essentially how everyone would act. 
Yeah, I see it, God. It's not just that you're just being, I, I see it. We can see that it doesn't work if you do that. And so he says, everyone who sees it knows it. That ain't going to work. And so they go tell him. The king comes back around. You think, well, the king, king just let this guy off of an amount of debt that could probably sink the whole kingdom. I mean, how's this king going to operate with that much debt? I mean, he's going to have to figure out how to do it. He's got problems. But as soon as he hears that that servant didn't forgive, he circles back. This is God saying, I am very, very sensitive to the idea that I just forgave you in your prayer and you're not being forgiven. Very sensitive to that. I will circle back to you. I will not let it go. I will come back around. He comes back around to this guy and he says, he says, you wicked Wicked. You had no ability to put yourself in the shoes of this debtor. How can that be that you couldn't identify with that debtor? He had the same problem you had, didn't even have as bad a problem as you had said the same thing you said to me, and it never rang a bell to you that I just did it for you and you can't do it for them, for him. How could you not see yourself in him? And so he goes to jail. Indebted and and unforgiven. Jail is the eternal punishment in the picture. Sounds harsh, but it's very realistic. Uh, People who are unforgiving, who hold grudges, um, are hellish. And I've said this to you before, and I'm going to say it to you again. Nobody goes to hell uh, and is shocked that they're there. No one gets to heaven and, and is shocked that they're there. You are becoming the kind of person who can breathe a certain, in a certain atmosphere. And if you're a hellish person, you can only breathe that air. If you're a heavenly person, you can only breathe that air. No one gets into heaven and says, I think I snuck in because I don't think anybody knows me. Some of us think some people are going to end up that way. I'll slip in somehow. No. No one gets into heaven that way. And no one, by the way, you don't end up in hell and go, how did I get here? No, you'll know full well because you've become a hellish kind of a person, unforgiving, bitter. We know them. We've seen it in ourselves. We've seen hellishness in ourselves where we're bitter and unforgiving and withhold love and uh, hateful and wishing for evil on someone. Pitiless. Those are marks of hell. And it becomes, in the picture, the horror of holding people liable. It deforms you. Makes you fit for hell. You understand fully why you're there. Because you have basically said, I don't want to be in the presence of God. I don't want his forgiveness And I'm not giving forgiveness. That's essentially what this voice says. Now, let me show it to you here in this text. Let's look at this text. Here we go again, one more time. Here is, uh, no, this is the the story. So let me take two verses out of the story to show you what grace is. So in the Matthew 18 story, let me show you what grace is. The first one is... Here, in verse 27, it's free. What did the king say to the servant? Pity. I had pity on him. I released him. Uh, Basically, I canceled his debt and let him go. That's what forgiveness looks like. You have pity. You cancel the debt. You let them go. That's grace. That was free. He couldn't do anything about it. It was free. But notice what Jesus says next. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. This was the free part. This was the transformation part. So what we're getting is the two parts 
of grace. It's free and it's transforming. And I would say to anyone in here, two things. I would, two things. Listen, if you don't know that grace, if you're in here today and you don't know that grace, oh my gosh, you need to get in on that. There's nothing like it in the world. But once you get it, you will find something happen in your heart that makes you merciful. That's the theological. Do you have to forgive to be saved? No. Can you be forgiven and not be forgiving? No. What's the practical? So now how does this work itself into our prayer? Let's close with a few thoughts on that. That's heavy stuff. Let's take it into our prayer life. Okay? Notice in the prayer that Matthew uses the word debts. I mean, finances is usually the picture. Matthew 18 is the picture. Uh, Luke, in his version, will talk about debts and sins because these debts are considered sins. But Matthew uses debtors for both. He doesn't even bring up sins. You just know that that's what he's talking about. And so he uses debts. Now, let me say something about debts. This is really powerful because these are legal business terms. These are commercial terms. It's the kind of debt you would, it's the kind of story you would use in any sort of business endeavor in your life. And um, so it's, it's commercial language. And basically what he's saying is my sin is pictured as debt. And I don't think there's a greater picture in the world to understand my sin as debt and to understand uh, what forgiveness is than the picture of finances. And I clearly, because, and what we're talking about here is the business of sin. This is the sin business and we're all in it. We are all in the sin business. You might not do a lot of things great. You sin wonderfully. You're good at it. You're good at this business. We're all good at this business. This is the reason why forgiveness has to be the thing that's operating in our lives constantly, like air we breathe. So uh, this is because we're all social. We're all in relationships. They're the highest priority in the kingdom. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's our business, and the business looks like this. I owe people. I owe God, and they owe me because I sin against them, and they sin against me. That's the business we're in. And I think it's important to understand, people in the kingdom understand this fully well, that I need forgiveness, and I need to grant it. That basic. No other way around it. So the reason sin and debt, debt is such a good reason, is because you need to understand something about your sin when you offend, when you hurt someone. It's like a debt owed. That's how God wants you to see it. There's a loss in there. There's a loss that somebody's got to make up for. That's the beauty. Sin isn't just, ah, well, just get over it. No, no, no. There's a loss, and someone's got to cover that loss. And you can do two things with debt. You can call it, oh, you're paying me. Or you can cover it and say, never mind. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you cover it. Somebody's going to pay. And when you let them off the hook from paying, you pay. That's where forgiveness is. You pay. But somebody pays. Uh, I absorb the cost with forgiveness. And I no longer hold you accountable. That's why the other images, I, I send you on your way. You no longer owe me. I will no longer treat you like you owe me. I have let you off the hook. That is what forgiveness is. It's what sin is. There's a debt. But when it's forgiven, it's covered. Somebody paid a cost. And if you didn't pay it and you got forgiven, somebody else paid it. You say, how do we make people pay? Oh, we have, oh, this is where we're really good. We make people pay. We hate on the inside. We gossip. We talk about the people who've hurt us. 
we withdraw for them, we root for their demise. And when you choose not to do those things, you absorb the pain. That's forgiveness. You absorbing that pain. But somebody pays. You can make them pay, or you can pay. People who live in the kingdom, let me just say this from a practical standpoint, are ready to say, I'm sorry. Say, how do I know grace has changed my heart? Are you ready, ready to say, I'm sorry? You make it easy for people to forgive you. Some of us do not like to make it easy for people to forgive us. It's like we, we, just, we just make it really hard for people to say you're forgiven because we're just nasty about our own sin and guilt. People who live in the kingdom are quick to say, I'm sorry. They want to make it as easy as possible after they caused an offense for someone to say, I'm sorry, or to say, I forgive you. They always grant it when somebody asks them for it. I say I'm sorry to make it easy for you to forgive me. I need to make it easy for you to forgive me because we can't function without it. But I also need to be able to grant forgiveness when you ask for it. Otherwise, what do you got? You got hell. So the application in the prayer is, I, I'm sitting there and I'm praying. I say, God, forgive me for my sin. And, I'm, and at the very same time, faces and names have to start coming to my mind. About anything that I'm, I'm sensitive to the reality that I'm holding a grudge or that I'm hurt or that I'm, I'm a little upset about it or that I'm making something bigger of it than I should. I, I sense it all happening inside of me. And I've got to tell God about it. I've got to walk it through with God. I cannot let it go, ignore it, act like it doesn't exist. There's just no way I can ask God for forgiveness and not go there. And it might, you might have to wrestle with it. Let's be honest. You might have to wrestle with it. These are, these are the hardest feelings and struggles and issues. They're, they're very hard. And so you gotta, you got to be really quick to say, I think I'm being self-righteous. I think I'm acting like I'm better than somebody. God, I know you hate that. I can't do that. I can't be hateful, God. I can't withhold love. I can't, you know, I don't want... It's, when you forgive somebody, you let them off the hook. You don't, you don't make them pay anymore. You don't make them pay with your face. You don't make them pay with your feet. You don't make them pay with anything. You let them off the hook. And see, in prayer, you got to go, God, I can't within myself find the strength to do that. I need kingdom resources to be the kind, to be loving the way you're loving to me. And to see, it's in those moments where you, you, you start to learn as a kingdom person. I can't keep relying on, on hate and bitterness and anger and slander to protect me. They're no longer the, the resources that I use to get by in life. I have kingdom resources now, and God, I need you to give them to me right now so that I don't use those to protect me. I don't let them look after me anymore. You look after me now. You protect me now. I just paid a really high cost and forgave somebody something and I need you to heal me. That's what you're praying. So all the logic for disharmony and hate go out the window when you're in the kingdom. 
You have no leg to stand on. You got no leg to stand on. So when I, be, when I close with this, when I became a Christian uh, in um, high school, one of the heroes that quickly emerged at the time uh, was Corey Ten Boom. You probably heard her name, uh, but for many, many, many years, she was the person, you know, when I thought about heroes of the faith, she was very near the top of the list. And if you know her story, she lived in the Netherlands during World War II and uh, during, you know, during the Holocaust. And she and her family were caught hiding Jews. And uh, they were put in a concentration camp for it. And her sister, Betsy, she and her sister were both in there, and Betsy died. Corey survived it with her faith intact with an incredible testimony. And immediately after she was already traveling in Europe, everybody wanted to hear that story. And so she'd travel around to different churches telling it. Two years after all that had happened, she was in Germany. She was in Munich. And uh, she went there with a message of God's forgiveness. Uh, she, she said, we got to be forgiving. We've got to forgive one another. That was her message. Well, at the end of the service, when the crowd broke out, uh, she noticed a man coming toward her. And it was one of the SS guards who stood at the shower, shower room door with other guards at the processing center And, of course, he would grope the naked ladies as they went by. And some other, you know, inhuman things. And she writes this. He was the first of the actual jailers I had seen after the war. And suddenly it was all there again, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pained face. And when he came up to me, He said, how grateful I am for your message to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. And he put his hand out to shake hers. This is what she writes. My hand stayed at my side. Angry, vengeful, thoughts boiled through me. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I just silently prayed. I said, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. But then she asked. This is the way prayer works. God, I can't do it. And then she says, I need you. I need your forgiveness. Right now. And I reached my hand out. And when I took his, an incredible thing happened. She says, from my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass. While at the same time, into my heart sprang a love for this, for this stranger that almost overwhelmed. This is, this is the point. I can't do this myself. I take this to prayer. I take that name, that face, that hand to prayer because I need resources. And God will give them to you when you need them. Now we're about to take communion. Grab your elements. I'm going to grab mine down here. The 
best way to be a forgiving person is to recall how much the king has forgiven you. And so today, today as we sit here, the first thought in your mind ought to be, I cannot believe I don't have a debt. I can't believe I'm debt free with God. I don't know. Hold it. Just eat it with that thought. Eat the bread with that thought. My body broken for you. And then the cup where Jesus says, this is my blood spilled for you. Somebody paid a price. Whatever the sin was between us, it created a, a, a debt. Somebody had to pay and I couldn't pay it. He paid it. That's what he means by the blood being spilled. I'll take it. Now Jesus is going to look at you and say, you can't keep that to yourself. If we're going to take communion together, we're going to eat it together, we're going to drink it together, then we have to give it. We have to offer forgiveness. We'll stand to your feet. We're going to just, as you contemplate, God, maybe pray this prayer right now. God, make me merciful. Make me merciful. And then the second prayer. Please help me to stop making people pay who've hurt me. Both those prayers can be answered.